chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we have heard from the book of Hebrews earlier in our series, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the heart of who we are. Father, I pray that your word would do that work this morning. Your spirit would use the reading and the preaching of the word to pierce to the hearts of who we are, to convict us, to encourage us. And Father, if it is your will to call any lost sheep among us home to their Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The last few weeks, we've been looking at some hard passages in the book of Hebrews. Three weeks ago, the author of Hebrews began a discourse on on the idea that Jesus Christ is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he began to talk about what that means for us. But right as he was getting started in this discourse, he hits the brakes and he expressed a concern he had for his original audience a concern that because they have not grown in their spiritual maturity, because they have become dull of hearing, he was worried that the topic of Christ being our great high priest uh, would be too complex for them, too over their heads, and they wouldn't get it. And so the challenge he gave his original audience, and I think the challenge that he gave us uh, is for us as a congregation to grow spiritually. That passage two weeks ago really raised the question, are we ready to grow in our understanding of Scripture, in our understanding of biblical doctrine and biblical theology? Are we ready for solid food? Are we ready to give up the milk? Not give up the milk, but move beyond the milk. Are we ready to become spiritually mature? Are we ready to move beyond the most basic elementary principles of Christianity to move from the shallows and into the deeps of the Word of God? That was the challenge two weeks ago. And then last week, the author of Hebrews gave this grave, serious warning, a warning that addressed the real danger that comes from never maturing in your biblical and doctrinal and theological understanding. The warning that we heard last week was that if you do not mature, if you stay a spiritual infant, if you never move from the milk 
to the solid food. You run the real risk of falling away from Jesus Christ altogether. And if you fall away, last week's passage warned us, you will never again be restored. If you fall away, you will, in essence, prove that though you may have confessed Christ with your lips, you never truly believed in your hearts that he is Lord. You were never united by faith with those who truly trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I think, of course, the author of Hebrews must have been echoing the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 when Paul exhorted his audience to grow to spiritual maturity. And he warned that if we don't, we will be blown about by every wind and wave of false doctrine, that we will be, he didn't use these words, but I think it was the heart of it, consumed by the wolves. That is to say, influenced by false teachers and led away from Jesus Christ. And if you were not here for last week's sermon, I I do encourage you to go back and listen to it. We do try to post the audio sermons or the audio recordings of our sermons by Tuesday afternoon. The link is shared on Facebook. Um, There's a podcast, Canal Saline's PCA podcast in iTunes. Or, Or if you do not listen to sermon audio online, Just let me know. I'm able to make a CD copy for anybody who wants to hear last week's sermon. But it was an extremely important passage, one that is often misunderstood and misinterpreted and misapplied. And I believe that we all need to have a grasp on what the author of Hebrews was warning against in the first part of chapter 6. Last week also ended with an encouragement. The author of Hebrews firmly believed that the congregation he was addressing was indeed clinging to Christ. And the reason he believed that is because he saw the fruit of the Spirit in the life of that first century church. And that was an encouragement for us as well. That was an encouragement to me as your pastor because I do believe that I do see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people of Canal Salines. So last week, as hard as it was, as difficult as that warning passage was, it did end with a great encouragement for us as the people of God. And then last week's passage ended uh, with verse 12. Look at verse 12 if you still have your Bibles open. Hebrews 6 verse 12. There's a call to us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. In other words, let's not imitate those who abandon Christ, but rather let's look at our brothers and our sisters who have endured, who have clung to Christ. Let's imitate them. Let's persevere in our faith until we too inherit the promises that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Well, this week builds off of that idea given to us in verse 12 of last week's passage. It encourages us to further persevere. And the author of Hebrews offers up to us two encouragements in our passage today. Uh, But before we talk about those two encouragements given to us, I first want to address this question. We keep seeing this word promise 
or promises popping up in our text. It was in verse 12 of our text last week. It's in verse 15 and verse 17 of our passage this morning. And the question we need to answer before looking at the encouragements offered up in our passage this morning is, what exactly are the promises that we will inherit? What promise is the author of Hebrews talking about? And the answer to that, brothers and sisters, is quite simple. I think the promises are everything pertaining to salvation. Freedom from the power of sin and death. Victory over the serpent. The forgiveness of sins. The gift of everlasting life. The promise of the resurrection of the body. The promise that we will one day inherit and reign with Jesus Christ in the new creation. Communion and fellowship with the holy triune God and life in His presence forever. That's the promise that belongs to all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And that is the promise that we inherit and we will inherit if we endure with patience to the end. So now that we understand what promise the author of Hebrews or what promise is the author of Hebrews has in mind. Let's look at these two encouragements that the author of Hebrews gives us this morning. The first encouragement comes to us through the means of using Abraham as an example. Verses 13 through 15, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham having patiently waited, obtained the promise. The author of Hebrews first, in verse 12, calls us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now in verses 13 through 15, he gives us a concrete example of someone, Abraham, to whom we can imitate. God made a promise, an everlasting covenant with Abraham. He promised to give Abraham many offspring, to make him the father of a great multitude. He promised that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. And he promised that Abraham and his descendants would be given a land forever. Now that's a hard promise for Abraham to believe. He and his wife were old, well beyond childbearing years. And yet God is promising to make him a father of a great multitude. And more than that, God is saying that through this great multitude, all the world would be blessed. And and he makes this promise that Abraham will be given a land forever. Remember, Abraham had a home. He had a land. He was called out of that land into what must have seemed, I think, to him like a vast wilderness, a, a, a land of endless wandering. And indeed, it was years and years before even one of those promises came to fruition. He was 100 years old, roughly, before his son Isaac was born. His wife was about 90 years old. It was almost three decades between the time God gave him the promise and when the first aspect of that promise, the birth of Isaac, was fulfilled by God. And yet Abraham persevered, and patience and faith. Now, the author of Hebrews is able to point his original audience, and he's able to point us 
to Abraham as an example of one who, through faith and patience, inherited the promise. Despite the apparent obstacles that would, from a human perspective, derail the promises God gave him, Abraham endured and thus saw the promises fulfilled. And that, brothers and sisters, is our call this morning. Remember again the historical context of this letter. It was written to a church who was going through terrible persecution for coming to faith in Jesus, for believing that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah that the Old Testament was pointing towards. And they probably didn't realize this at the time, but they were about to go through an even greater suffering and persecution because in just a few years, the Roman Emperor Titus would siege the city of Jerusalem in one of the most brutal, torturous moments in ancient Jewish history. And the temptation, I think, for these early Jewish Christians would have been to see those obstacles and think, possibly, God will not keep those promises to us. And we can be like that. We can see the obstacles in our way. Maybe it's a struggle with a particular sin that you just keep battling day in and day out. Maybe you think it's the promise of forgiveness and deliverance from the power and guilt of sin really for me. Maybe we struggle with doubt and assurance of God's grace towards those who repent and trust in Christ. Maybe it's our own grief and trials and tribulations that can lead us to despair and lead us to wonder if God will be faithful. Maybe God has not kept his promise. Maybe Jesus isn't really with us until the end of the age. And the author of Hebrews, I think, gives us a wonderful encouragement by pointing to Abraham and reminding us that he too faced seemingly impossible odds, and yet he persevered by faith, and he did inherit what God promised him. Brothers and sisters, Abraham inherited the promises, and he inherited them in a way he couldn't even imagine. Because Abraham did receive the son God promised him in Isaac. But through Isaac's descendants, an even greater son, an even greater offspring would come, Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham, that all the nations are indeed blessed. And people from every tongue and tribe and nation look to Christ in repentance and faith and thus become, as the apostles Paul says in Galatians 3, the offspring, that is the children of Abraham. And it's through Jesus Christ that we who are looking to him in faith will indeed inherit the promises. We will inherit the promise of a land, not merely a small plot of land in the Middle East, but the whole world, the whole new creation. Abraham, because he perceived or persevered in faith, not only received the fulfillment of the promises, he not only inherited it, he received far more than he could ever ask or imagine. Abraham never imagined that we would be sitting here today calling on the name of the same Lord, trusting in the same Messiah, and looking to Abraham as the father of our faith. Abraham never imagined 
that Jesus Christ would be the one who was ultimately promised to him through whom all the nations would be blessed. He received far more than he could ever imagine. And this is why Jesus says in John 8, I think, that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Jesus said he saw and he was glad. So the first encouragement for us then is to imitate Abraham and his patient endurance, knowing that because Abraham received the promises, we too can endure and receive the promises of God. But then comes our second encouragement, which really runs, I believe, through this entire passage. But it's it's focused on more in verses 16 through 18. Our encouragement to endure in patient faith comes from knowing the quality and the nature of the very one who has given us the promises. Ultimately, why did Abraham persevere? Because he knew the quality of the Lord who gave him the covenant. As I said, I think this idea is found throughout the entire passage. For for example, verses 13 and 14, and then again in verses 16 and 18, uh, these verses point out that God not only gave Abraham a promise, but he also swore an oath by his own name. Verse 13 says he swore by himself, and then verses 16 through 18 elaborate on that a little more. Now, why did God do this? Surely if God gives us a promise, we can know that he will keep it. He doesn't need to swear an additional oath, right? That's something that we as human beings need to do. You know, it's, it's one thing for me to make a promise to someone. It's another thing for me to, for example, put my right hand on the Bible, raise my hand, and swear an oath that I will keep that promise. It, oaths add extra weight to the words of men. If I swear an oath, it adds an extra weight to the promise that I might make. And the reason for that is because I'm swearing to a higher authority. If I lay my hand on the Bible and make an oath, I'm swearing, ultimately, to the God to whom's word this is. God doesn't need to do that. His promises are sure. He has no higher authority to swear to, and yet... God, in making a promise to Abraham, does swear an oath. Why? The simple answer is, God did this for our sake. This is a beautiful example of how God condescends to us. How he knows that we are prone to doubt. And because he knows this, he takes this extra step in swearing an oath so that you and I can be secure, have ultimate assurance in knowing that God will indeed keep his promises. You know, why was Abraham able to persevere? Why is he a good example for us? Because ultimately, he had the assurance that if God promised him something, God would give him that promise. Abraham was faithful because he knew that God was faithful to his word and faithful to his people. It was ultimately the faithfulness of God at work and on display in Abraham's life that in turn allowed Abraham to persevere in patient faith. Thomas Schreiner wrote in his commentary in the book of Hebrews, he said, the circumstances and sufferings of life suggest 
that God's promises are a charade, that they are disconnected from reality. But Abraham faced the same temptation as the readers, for he too was tempted to think that God's promise would not come true. Like Abraham, the original readers of the book of Hebrews were to continue to believe even when their situation suggests God's promises are false. The reader should be patient, but their patience is founded upon the promise of God, a promise that would not be broken. The summons to patient and perseverant, patience and perseverance is not a call ultimately to human virtue. Listen to that, brothers and sisters. This is so important. The summons to patience and perseverance is not a call ultimately to human virtue. Abraham was patient precisely because of the unbreakable promise of God. His faith was grounded and established in the word of God, and thus what Abraham pledged to him fueled his patience. Why did Abraham endure? Why can we endure today with patient faith? Because we know that the God who has given us the promises of things pertaining to salvation is the eternally faithful God. And we know that in Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. We, we are indeed called to imitate men like Abraham who endured in patient faith. But that's um, even more than that. We realize that Abraham is not merely a moral example for us. He's not set before us as simply a virtuous example for us to follow. Abraham's endurance and our encouragement in this life to endure is grounded upon the fact that our God is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God, the Lord our God, who, as our passage this morning says, cannot lie. And we who have fled to Jesus Christ for refuge, we have this incredibly strong hope a hope grounded not in our ability, not in the quality of our own faith, but rather grounded in the ability of God to keep his promise to us, grounded in the truth that in Christ all of God's promises to us are indeed fulfilled and secured already because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ is coming again. That's our great encouragement and that's what spurs us on to hold fast to Christ. Our hope is secured already in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's secured already in the great truth that Christ has already passed into the Holy of Holies, the heavenly throne room of God, and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and that he is there right now making intercession for us, praying for us, making our case known before the Father. That's our hope. And when we say hope, we don't mean a flippant, oh, wow, you know, I, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow so I can, I can go fishing. You know? Hope in the Bible means a confident expectation of what God has promised. In other words, hope, as the Bible uses it here, means that we can have full confidence that something will indeed happen. This hope then, that God 
has already kept his promises to us in Jesus Christ and that we will one day inherit the promises. This hope is, as the author of Hebrews says in verse 19, a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. And I think we realize then just how secure our anchor is. If we were on a ship and we hurled an anchor into the sea, uh, it would be security for us. It would give us a sense of security. If the anchor found the floor of the sea and was able to latch onto the bottom, then we would know that we would be secure. And, and surely for sailors, the sign of an anchor was one of great security. But it was not a symbol of perfect security. Something could always happen to that anchor. The chain could break. It may not cling to something. Maybe the chain wasn't long enough to get to the bottom of the ocean floor. Sailors knew that something could uproot that anchor. But we have an even greater anchor. We have an even greater security. Because we have not cast an anchor down to the bottom of a stormy sea. But rather, we have an anchor that, as Kent Hughes says, rises through the blue skies and up through the deep heaven where it passes unhindered through the curtain and anchors on the throne of God in heaven in the heavenly holy of holies where Jesus is seated. Our lives are accessed and anchored in heaven. An anchor that is sure and steadfast. An anchor that, as the NIV translation of the Bible says, is firm and secure. An anchor that can never be uprooted because it is grounded, it is held fast by Jesus Christ, our eternal high priest. And when we realize this, we have the most wonderful of encouragements to persevere. The greatest of all encouragements to cling to Jesus Christ and endure until the end. Because we know that we will fully inherit the promises of God. This, brothers and sisters, I, I again, I fully believe we will do. Because Christ himself has guaranteed it. Christ has secured our hope already in his once offering up of himself on the cross, in his resurrection from the dead, in his ascension into heaven, in his continued intercession on our behalf as our great high priest. And ultimately, we can look at the examples of Abraham. We can remember the promises of God and God's quality and nature and know that he is the faithful God. And we can remember that it is Christ who has secured our place. And this gives us the greatest encouragement and hope, the greatest security. We will never drift away from Christ if we remember our great hope and encouragement is grounded in him alone.